Welcome to the 16th and final episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a woman from the gay community in Australia who is putting her human-centred design skills to good use, supporting organisations to include the excluded. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She began her career in service design on the agency side and went on to work for and with some of Australia's biggest banks and retailers, honing her craft in design thinking and HCD to where she uses it today supporting social change, including serving on the board of directors for an amazing charity called Wear It Purple, supporting rainbow young people. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Lara Hustleby. Hey, Lara. Hey, Claire. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thanks so much for joining me and welcome to everybody listening along as well. Whereabouts are you joining me from? Because it's dark where you are. <laughs> Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, no, so I'm in Sydney, Australia, and uh, it's about 8.30 here, so you have to excuse the wine glass that's uh, hovering very close to me right now. It's totally fine. I've got my coffee, but we are 12 hours behind you. <laughs> so um, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited that we're going to have an awesome conversation about design thinking, human-centered design, and how you're using your skills to create safe spaces for LGBTQ communities. <laughs> Does that all sound good? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Prepped and ready. Prepped and ready to go. Woo. Okay, so my, my first question, as I ask all my guests, is how exactly did you find your way into customer experience? Yeah, pure luck is the uh, is the real honest answer. I um I did a design degree back at university um, after like most of my life wanting to be a PE teacher, mm. and then something <laughs> just snapped and I went I can't deal with children, um, mm. so I'll go into design. And I found myself around like amazingly creative people who were really good at generating beautiful artworks or beautiful like graphic pieces that were going to find themselves in advertising. And I just didn't really feel like that was me and so I thought I was going to be in sales in advertising um I kind of my family has a bit of a background in it I was dating someone at the time who was in advertising so it just all kind of made sense and then I did this one subject with one of our major banks here a bank called Westpac and it was all around research of the customer and it was like this new thing that you actually asked them a lot early on <laughs> and I loved it and I worked really hard and um, ended up Uh, being offered an internship and that really just accelerated my career and so pretty much it's the only thing that I've actually done if I look back consistently at my career has been working in CX and human-centered design. Oh amazing and yeah I don't know if I've ever woke up and thought I want to be a CX professional or a related discipline to that we all all found our our way in. Um, But I find it funny now though that people like you know kids who are at university are actually saying that whereas obviously for us it's like (laughs) you know that wasn't on offer there weren't courses etc whereas people now know know so much more about it than when I started in the industry yeah maybe we're showing our age there (laughs) 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 um so yes obviously I am obsessed with the design side of customer experience too um I know that when we first met online through Instagram wasn't it and then you came to yeah and we got to have a coffee and really geek out on all of the service design um, but yeah. for the benefit of the audience, not everyone might be as familiar as us with some of these terms. So could you give us your perspective on what is design thinking? 
Yeah, not a problem. And really great po- point to start on. You, I think often we hear human-centered design, design thinking, service design, all interchangeably, but really they are actually distinct things that work in combination. So um, look, design thinking is what it is. It's thinking like a designer using, using that mindset to unpack problems and actually even challenge if it's the right problem up front. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often used aligned with things like innovation. So you're kind of testing whether or not whatever the solution is be it for a service or a new product, etc., whether or not that's gonna be desirable so yes, customer or user, mm-hmm. um, if it's going to be viable. So can it actually bring in money potentially or is it, do we have enough money to fund it? Which is obviously an important question. <laughs> Very and cool. then fees, yeah, yeah. Or do we want to put that much money behind it? And then feasibly, you know, is do we have the tech stack? Are we able to actually do it? Do we have the resources? So yeah, design thinking is using an array of different tools and I guess approaches to unpack that innovation and those questions. Whereas human-centered design is, again, what it says, it's putting people in the center of what you're designing for, but it's more about usability or hearing from people. It's that desirability aspect Mm. of design thinking. So it's really like, you know, they they work hand in hand and I often call myself a human-centered design professional that uses design thinking and agile to get information out of people. You know, all the, the, not buzzwords because I believe in them, but all the lingo. Yeah, yeah. We need to, we need to come up with a new version, don't we? Like a word that summarizes all of that as a new discipline. (laughs) That's true. It's true. Although, you know, I've got, you know, a queer woman, I've got a lot of an acronym anyway, usually that I'm (laughs) talking about. So it might be a little bit too much. (laughs) But I suppose it is a bit of a, like the rainbow of customer experience, isn't it? When you start thinking about all of the disciplines that actually can drive a significant difference in what customers or users ultimately experience without design thinking I think these days especially with digital without human-centered design customer experience becomes a very um, esoteric intellectualized thing that doesn't really deliver that much so um, I'm with you on um, this being very much part of the future of 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 whatever CX becomes. So we carry on. Yeah, into- absolutely. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you know, and um, it's about demystifying both of them mm-hmm. for um, our stakeholders too, right? Like even people within the community, but broader, you know, people aren't going to necessarily engage with what you're suggesting or co-creating with them if you're not unpacking that lingo and making it um, easy for them to use. It's just a barrier to entry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose in my experience, I've always felt that because the tools are so tangible and the outputs are so real, um, that actually they're a better way often to bring stakeholders on board because they can understand um, the, the framework. It's not a framework for CX, it's a framework for thinking, a framework yeah. for arriving at decisions. And because it's so commercial in being able to say, well, we've listened to our customers or our users, and actually these, these are their needs and this is what we could do for them. But we're actually going to also put a lens over that, over whether or not it's worth doing from a commercial yeah, perspective or a viability perspective. Like I find stakeholders engage with that far more than um, ideas around strategies for customer experience or, or changing culture or like really, I think realistically quite unachievable goals. But the power for mm. me in design thinking human-centered design is being able to change the culture kind of from the inside out (laughs) Uh, absolutely yeah make people feel comfortable with connecting to customer or employee which surprisingly you know we have a privilege in what we do not everyone has that 
yeah no I could go off on a tangent now about um, <laughs> the, the, the empathy we feel as designers and I'm sure that will come up but this is what we were like at coffee right going oh, off on every tangent you know it's just so exciting though isn't it like we I get like yeah. genuine chills so, so I think that's a really helpful kind of description so design thinking being the bigger picture of a set of tools that can be used to start with the right problem and guide your way through mm. um refining the approach to it and human sense of yeah. design being very much about um usability and what was the other word that you used gosh i don't know i guess it's it well it's doing what <laughs> that it was said. a sip it's of wine ago in... wasn't it <laughs> yes <laughs> you called me out claire oh, yeah. no, i'm teasing you i'm teasing you <laughs> Um, it's putting humans in the center and designing for them and yes is it usable but also is it approachable I guess is it something that they would use um, and that's the kind of extra lens that paired with design thinking makes us do what we do I guess yeah and and that has reminded me the question I was going to ask was about um, just having mentioned empathy so usability mm. can tend to be quite a practical thing how do you, yeah. do you use your approach to ensure we also deliver on emotional needs for users, customers, employees, whoever you want to fit into that bracket? Um, that's a really great question. And look, I think that there's lots of different little techniques that you can use in frameworks. Um, I work with a lot of colleagues at the moment um, uh, for one of my bigger clients, and they are very much about this whole framework with jobs to be done. And I'm certainly not turning up my nose at it. I think it's fantastic. And I think it's a great structure. But sometimes I think there's smaller things that you can be doing earlier on. So like sharing stories, like you said, giving access to people who don't have this ability to um, go out and speak to customers as freely as we get to and sharing those stories back but then through time allowing those roles that might historically not be out engaging with customers have access to that get that privilege and that's a cultural shift as well right mm -hmm. so I've got a great example um, when I was quite junior I was working for an agency here in Sydney and we were working on a project to improve our rail network um, and no surprises here but a lot of things were delivered in paper form so someone would ride a train get off at the right station when they knew that another train would be coming and passing that particular piece of paper onto the train driver guide whatever to relay information and obviously that's not sustainable but like I mean I'm old but I'm not that old so it wasn't like that long ago so. <laughs> um, and so it was looking at how we could like obviously digitize that experience and make it an engaging project for customers and it was all driven out of IT so you know again I was down in the depths sitting next to all of these fabulous IT people who had worked for ages for this particular company and it's government owned so they were you know they had so many different restrictions on them and they had never had the ability to ever go over and meet the train guards that literally were just over the like the road and yet all of a sudden I was sitting between the two of them and I just that was for me as a as a very junior designer at the time service designer realizing what a privilege it is for what we do but also never to like if your agency side sit there and be like I can't believe the client hasn't done this already because there are so many constraints and you know growing up I've certainly learned that too <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I think sometimes it's that fresh pair of eyes, isn't it? That someone like you or I or other people with these skills can come and kind of like take a, a helicopter view of some of the problems that organisations are facing and be able to see it very much from that human 
um absolutely perspective and actually it's so it's so insightful and I have a client's comment to me like it's so obvious but we didn't see this <laughs> yeah and I think also you know we have the privilege of like you're saying with that bird's eye view we're coming in with fresh eyes to solve potentially what the problem is and again thinking of design thinking it's about making sure that that's it's actually the, right the problem yeah, yeah. Mm. or one of many that needs yeah. to be focused on and prioritized but also it's the problems within the organization that allows people to not meet those customers or employees um and I think we have that privilege of being able to view both yeah 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 and I think it's the problem behind the problem we tend to find isn't it so the problem might yes. be manifesting in a, a metric somewhere but actually the reason or the root cause of that um is most of the time a human issue <laughs> absolutely and and I would even say to extend that most of the time it lies in your employee experience a lack of focus there because it's all about sales yeah 100%. so improving stuff for your employees what I mean stuff I mean all of the things <laughs> they have to do but yeah. it's about improving their experience and often that's when you get the most wins most rapidly too yeah. agreed agreed and that's that kind of like change from the inside out right that yeah. um, once people feel empowered and listened to and engaged and able to better do their job that's going to trigger a much bigger landslide of impact than trying to go with yeah. a top-down strategy and uh, and plan everything out. So, so we're talking about inclusion. So you referenced yourself as a mm. can you um, tell us a bit more about why inclusion, especially in LGBTQT, TQ, QT? Oh gosh, I think I've got it the wrong way around again. <laughs> um, don't, look, I will say to that, don't <laughs> worry about getting the acronym wrong. It's obviously the intent behind it is yeah. with a lot of care. Um, and as someone in the community, you know, it's easy to stumble across it as well. So look, um, yeah, I do identify as a queer woman and I'm in a very privileged position because through a lot of hard work and some amazing support, I feel really confident jumping on a podcast, speaking to someone across the other side of the world and identifying and saying that out loud. But there are many, many, many people within my community and other minorities or intersections that don't have that privilege. Um, and that can be for a raft of different reasons through past experience, religion, um, just even what it's going to be like coming out to their parents or, or workplace. Um, and I've experienced it as well. You know, I'm, again, my story is kind of sweet, but, um, you know, it doesn't mean that I haven't had my fair share of being excluded even now that I'm a comfortable um, queer person. Um, but, yeah, I guess for me, inclusion is thinking beyond the mass and looking for minorities and those intersections where actually some really amazing golden nuggets and stories lie that you can improve people's lives and that comes back to the empathy and maybe why I was drawn to this career is you know the the idea that we can improve it even if it's just one point in someone's life it obviously sounds so idealistic but okay same kind of thing is you know you don't know who you're walking past and what they're experiencing so a smile might help well why not do the same for minority groups when you are in a privileged position or sit in um, and and that certainly is not me saying speaking for those minority groups but you know if I have the ability to think beyond mass and think about those minorities then I'd love to design for them I'd love to work with them to design for them it's a really important word you said there was intersection and as an intersectional feminist um I think it's so important <laughs> again kind of like recognizing and I think you've said it really beautifully um recognizing the privileged position many of us hold in not having that experience of a minority group yet it's our responsibility to um 
do whatever we can to bring people who feel on the outside in. And I know um, with the women in CX community that we're building, one of our core values is going to be about inclusion. And um, throughout our design process that we're going through at the moment, you know, being able to hold that front and center of whatever we're doing, um, I think it's fundamental to who we're becoming as a, as a brand too. Um, so I'm really interested to learn, I guess, from, from you whilst we're on this journey. Yeah, how, no how, how are you using human-centered design to include the excluded? Yeah, I mean, great question. I might just like flick back, I guess, kind of what I do and then go yeah. from there. So um, I am a consultant and I work underneath my own brand. Um, really, sometimes I feel like that gives me the uh, tax deduction I have an ABN structure which is what we call it here but other times it actually allows me to work on multiple clients at the same time and that's often where I'm working with various community groups to help them use um, human-centered design so through that I've been exposed to I guess different organizations and one of them was uh, Wear It Purple which really sings true to me um the organisation exists uh, because basically statistics around LGBTQ youth, I mean, statistics in general across the community are horrible, but particularly for our youth, where suicide rates are just like, they're just shocking. And, um, you know, there's, unless you have a queer kid, and even then you might not realise how kind of every day can be a a battle or you can be excluded from different things so I I now sit on the board for wear it purple and it's a lovely full circle moment for for me because I have a bit of a story from high school with with that um and um I was brought in basically to use human-centered design to help wear it purple go from a real grassroots organization that was starting to get a lot of focus and continue that focus but actually make it quite robust and have a lot of rigor and structure to be able to support that so instead of getting someone in who was amazing at admin certainly not me um it, it was about going well what are we how are we designing for um and supporting the different groups that make up wear it purple so obviously there's youth there's corporate sponsors there's partnerships with other community groups there's board members blah 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 so what's that structure and instead of me just coming in and designing it which is not what I do, it's working with everyone to come up with those principles mm. around inclusion, to come up with our framework, to come up with how we engage those community groups, et cetera. And is it an uphill battle? Yeah, absolutely. Like we are all volunteers on our day jobs. Um, and I guess through that, then it's also given me a lot of exposure to other queer community groups or um, charities. So, you know, I've done stuff for um, the Leukemia Foundation, helping them journey what it's like for those who are stepping into palliative care. From that, I'm now sitting on an LGBTQ steering committee that um, is about, you know, that intersection of people who are experiencing that very high level, very sad, traumatic, almost end of life experience, but are also from the queer community. I hope to one day step into a similar space around aged care because there's high statistics of those who are queer going back into the closet when they go into um yeah. to aged care as well so yeah look I, I would say it's this like I, what's the best way to describe my career it's it's basically going well there's another opportunity where I can help people understand design principles through design thinking and human-centered design that are going to make these community groups stronger and maximize their reach really whilst mm -hmm. minimizing the risk 
that, that's the big thing for me. So yeah, I usually have a big client and usually it's a bank at the moment. <laughs> um, and within there, I'll be very involved in one of their pride groups or gender groups, et cetera. Um, and then on the outside, do a lot of work in community. Yeah, and no, I, I really feel you. It's like having the day job to be able to <laughs> really want to do, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm working for a New Zealand client in the moment and they're like two hours ahead of us or in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, I get to get up two hours early, start work, and then I've got that little bit at the end where I can do, all do your own stuff. stuff. Oh, you. <laughs> um, and you mentioned your own story there um, from high school. Um, is, is that the kind of story that's helped you to... Um, become so engaged with wanting to use your skills to make a difference yeah I think so and a bit of a pairing of the you know the right time Um, so now I have the skills but also now I have the mindset to understand maybe the systemic issues not Mm. just the emotional ones that were you know me in it Um, and maybe that's age but actually I think it's kind of um, where society's at as well being Mm. able to understand you know there was more discussions around queer culture Mm. um yeah so basically look for me um I had a pretty shocking end of year um sorry end of my time at school but before that had had a brilliant time and went from like having you know great friends great teachers who you know would come and have a barbecue with could I sound more Australian but they'd come (laughs) have a barbecue (laughs) we have shrimp on it (laughs) (laughs) um with my you know my parents and like it was a bit of a community sense and then when I came out I just had zero support and in fact found that there was rumors going through all the school and blah 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 and whilst now where I stand it sounds so small because I've grown so much from it what I've realized since is that actually it wasn't just me that didn't have support it was the teachers and the parents along with the kids who didn't have the language or didn't have the resources to be able to help their kids actually understand that there isn't a huge difference in that Um, and the language that we choose to use those colloquial terms just can be insulting so that's what we're at purple does basically we have a Friday at the end of August. Uh, everyone wears purple. I know that you did it I for did, me yeah. when I <laughs> put it up in the channel. Um, but basically it's showing visible support. So people are wearing purple and you might never have a conversation, but a kid can see, hey, that person is wearing purple on that day and it means that they support me. People buy merchandise through us and that means that we can then um, send free packs to schools that register. Um, and that has a whole array of different decorations, but also throughout the year what we're also doing is building lots of different resources etc for teachers to access Australia's got some pretty shocking um, policies around and particularly politicians pushing stuff at the moment and um, you know we have to be very clear around teachers have to engage with us Mm. but the best thing is that we're seeing more and more and more um, schools register more teachers more students standing up to principals and saying we want wear it purple in schools and they're great conversations right it's what it's about is opening up those conversations and they certainly didn't exist when I was at school yeah so it's powerful to yeah uh, be powered by your own backstory and <laughs> yeah and look you know I, I speak like I speak passionately about it because it's my story but I am also very conscious that mine's sweet compared to a lot of people mm. um and I've used it to fuel some fire but how it probably fuels me in my career is that empathy angle that we were speaking about before yeah. um 
to know what it's like to sit on the fringe or to have people not ask you questions because they might not know what the right terms are. Mm. I can't count on the, the like the amount of times someone's not asked me if I have anyone in my life because they're worried that I'll like get, they'll, they'll get something wrong. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, you saw that my awkward moment when I was like, oh my God, I said the term wrong, maybe. Oh, well. <laughs> <And it> is. <laughs> But that's, but you're right. You know, it's the intention, like, recognizing the intention, isn't it? Instead of like the correctness in it. Yeah, absolutely. So, thinking about kind of like how the women listening to the podcast could take some advice away in terms of mm. either personally or professionally or in their context of customer experience, be thinking about creating spaces that are genuinely inclusive not just performative or, or like for the purpose mm. of branding which we see a lot of businesses do um especially in the last yeah that performative allyship um but how do mm. we make it like you know genuinely inclusive what would you suggest women in CX think about or do yeah look I think that's a really hard question because if your brand hasn't been involved in one of these causes for a while you're always going to get that skepticism from the outside Mm -hmm. but it goes back to what we were talking about before about designing from your employees Mm -hmm. and I promise you within a lot of organizations there are going to be these different intersections that exist in employees that either don't feel safe to come out or be who they are or don't feel celebrated um or seen even. So, you know, start by reviewing your culture and looking at how, um, you know, becoming an ally for one of these particular groups. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I the one of the banks that I was working for had a really great um, uh, diversity and inclusion policy that had lots of different staff groups. So on a structural level, that would be my number one is go find those out. Mm-hmm. My number two is probably like have a listen um, to like, you know, other people's stories and like, and like actually listen, don't come in and being like, here, I'm going to design for you. It's mm-hmm. like, let's use co-creation the way it's meant to be, which is cross-functional and collaboration, mm-hmm. but listen to those minority groups and get them to design for them as well. Um, and what that basically involves is a higher level of empathy to seek out stories that might not actually be comfortable or you might not feel comfortable in certain spaces, but step into them. For example, we have this amazing um, series that runs here in Sydney called Queer Stories, and it's run by this ace woman called um, Maeve Marsden. And I think monthly um, she gets a bunch of different people from the queer community or allies to tell stories. And they can be just like really little things, like extremely Mm -hmm. funny ones through to, you know, heartbreak or um, their coming out story or whatever. And, if I look around the room, I see some amazing people who are probably from the queer community, but not, I don't see a lot of like, yeah, allies. And it might be that they don't feel like it's a safe space. But then when I ask people to come, they, they feel like it is. And so I'll use my mum for an example. She loves writing. She loves like, and she's a big supporter of mine. But when I've asked her, she's like, oh, I'd, that's your thing. Oh. <laughs> it's like, well, actually that's fundamentally me one. <laughs> but also too like this is a way to learn um so seek out those different spaces and I certainly do it um I need to get better at it uh, we recently had what um other people like to call Australia Day here and and for those who don't believe it should be on that date like myself it's the 26th of January um and I went to some rallies and sat with a lot of different um Indigenous people be it friends or those that I don't know 
um, to hear the stories and, and why the date is so a horrible date and, you know, that even changing the date's not going to do much. There's a lot more work that needs yeah. to be done. So I think, um, yeah, my other answer is throw yourself into situations which might not be comfortable but with the intent to learn and listen. Mm. And then you will empathise. Yeah, I, I, this happens so often on the podcast, but I get this like rush of like emotion and it like, makes the hands on my arms stand up. But I think <laughs> what something, a few things that you said there just really resonated with me, like putting yourself in the uncomfortable space is where empathy starts, right? And we mm. have to normalise that feeling and lean into it because so many of us feel it and then run away immediately. Yeah, like, totally. The example you gave, you know, leaving a, like your mum, not feeling like, well, it's not it's a sure thing, not mine. <laughs> you yeah. know, if, if we could lean into more of those things that aren't our thing, they're someone else's and genuinely be part of celebrating, I thought was a great word. Um, or the, the mm. experience of others that even though it might not be directly something we've experienced or ever will because we won't have to have a coming out story or face racism mm. or whatever um just that that feeling it just gave me then of yeah like the way to do this is not spaces that exclude anyone <laughs> but yeah. that we can come together with a real desire to learn and share and grow and lean in um and understand and support one another so mm. it doesn't sound like you've got any extra time at all but um, we, we have um, a diversity and inclusion kind of like mini group forming already. Yeah. No, we've not launched yep. it. Um, we've got our first meeting tomorrow. Obviously, we were on like a completely different time zone. One woman's in South Africa, <laughs> one woman's in Canada. <laughs> I'm in the UK. You're in Australia. Yeah, I believe I've spoken on the panel. Is it Nandisha? Nandisha, so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke on a couple of panels with Jonathan for her. With her. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so she she's yeah. our diversity and inclusion lead. Um, but the group is growing so rapidly because as you said you know we're discovering all these different intersections that mm. we really want to get this right and help to create that space that you're talking about for people to meet together find support but also to learn and feel like we can not have to be scared of the words or not know what to say um yeah, so I'd absolutely. love love you to be in some somehow <laughs> you know I'll always do what you say Claire. Oh, <laughs> I'll <no>. always sign up <laughs> I got you at just the right point in the glass of wine then didn't I too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you did you did <laughs> well, well done. listen it's been amazing um talking to you I know that when I first met you online I felt like that true sense of sisterhood and then when I met you in London and the ongoing conversations we've always managed to have I know this has taken way longer than <laughs> we expected to be able to actually have this conversation yeah. but I just like to say thank you so much for, for sharing your stories for sharing your perspective and your insights I found it really valuable and I'm sure women in CX listening will too. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. And always um, thank you for, you know, getting us all on board. Um, what you've created is fabulous and it's all done, you know, through your determination and grit. So well done. The best is yet to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Um, so thanks ever so much Lara thanks to everyone listening and we'll see you all not next week because this is actually the last in our series um, series three will be back in uh, six weeks time once we've got the community launch event underway but as you know this is my side hustle <laughs> as much as everything else is um, we're going to stop for this little while so thanks for being our final episode you've been amazing and hopefully I'll get to see you again soon <laughs> bye Lara <laughs> Bye, Claire. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muscat. 
If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. We're taking a break from the podcast for a month to focus on building the Women in CX community platform and prepare for our launch event on International Women's Day on March the 8th. We'll be back for Series 3 then with a list of stellar guests from the business side of CX. The team and I can't wait to see you all at the launch. Bye for now.